Why do you love it so much? I think if you own your own business, you have to be prepared to take risks. Being a woman doesn't hold you back from achieving success. Yep, so if you're struggling, just stop and pause and, and really reflect on why am I struggling here. But I've also worked really hard and telling me it's luck, I think, just takes away some of that recognition of the hard work. One last question. Welcome to Tea with the Queen, a show where I talk with some of my favourite go-getters, inspiring and courageous women in leadership and business. I'm your host, Emma McQueen. I'm a business coach, executive coach, author and speaker. And for 20 years, I've been working with women to unlock their potential and get paid their worth while doing work they love. Hello. Yes, that's right. I'm not who you're expecting, am I? I'm not Emma McQueen, obviously. I'm Chris Ashmore. And you probably know that because you heard my voice a couple of episodes ago. I produce Emma's Tea with the Queen. Emma and I were chatting and we thought, why hasn't she told her story yet? You hear so much of her, I mean it's her show, but some of you may not know about her. Not in detail anyway. So we thought, wouldn't it be a U-Butte idea that I interview her and bring up all the wonderful things she's done in her life? Her career in HR, her wonderful family and how she's inspiring a whole range of women to unlock their potential. And so that's what we did. We sat down, poured ourselves a cup of tea, and had a chat. Well, Emma, thank you for joining your podcast. (laughs) Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing being on the other side of the microphone. I must, um, how do you feel? Oh, slightly nerve-wracking, but it's a good experience for me because I'm like, you'll be fine to everyone else, and like now I'm like, you'll be fine to myself. <laughs> <laughs> now you can put yourself in their shoes, so to speak, or their headphones. Let's start. Let's get stuck straight into it, Emma. Have you always been an entrepreneur? Mm, give me the easiest question first, why don't you, buddy? Uh, look, <laughs> I think it depends on who you ask, but if you ask Serena, who is my sister, she would say selling icy poles on the driveway when I was 10 was stupid. But now she feels connected to that and maybe that's a sense of my entrepreneurialism. And I did many of those kind of things throughout my life. So maybe I'm an entrepreneur. Who knows? Well, let's go back to when you were growing up. Um, if you don't mind me saying, you didn't have it so easy, did you? No, look, I um, when I was growing up, I mean, I had a great childhood until I was about 14 and once I hit 14 I think my parents decided to split which made things pretty tough and for a 14 year old girl when your parents split you go through all that is it me was it me is that why they split yada yada and my parents remarried a year later a week apart to different people and so that was kind of the beginning of Emma McQueen resilience really I was not Emma McQueen then I was Emma Norrish but um yeah it was a bit after that point it was pretty tricky childhood if you could call it a childhood I suppose well you left home and moved in with someone else is that right yeah my parents remarried and look they decided that they the priority was their new partner And uh, my dad bought a place for all of us and it didn't work out. And so I moved in with a beautiful family 
And back then I was also going to a private school and so I had a lot of shame. I lived with a lot of shame because I didn't want to tell people that my parents had split up and it meant that I needed to find money for my own school fees and I couldn't live in someone's house without paying them anything. And so I guess all of that was instilled in me. But yeah, I did a number of jobs. I did a lot of babysitting and I flicked pretty much into survival mode from 15. So I feel very blessed with that experience now looking back, but at the time did kind of suck. Oh, of course. You were paying rent while you were going to high school. Yeah, well, I moved in with a beautiful family, Margot, and Margot also had a daughter who was not in high school and I was in high school. And when I moved in with Margot, I just basically said, I can't live here for free. And Margot was a beautiful cook. Now, I was brought up on ham and salad. And so Margot being beautiful cook was kind of interesting. So Margot cooked these beautiful meals for me. And Chris, I didn't know what they were. So I didn't really eat very much when I moved in with Margot. And Margot sat me down one day and she said, Emma, I noticed that you're not really eating very much dinner. What is going on for you? And I said, oh, Margot, it's not that I don't like it. I just don't know what I'm eating. And she's like, okay, so if I could make you something every night, what would it be? And I said, I would love some lamb chops, mashed potatoes, corn on the cob and a sprinkling of peas. (laughs) My direct response (laughs) From that moment on, that's what I got. Bless her cotton socks. Regardless of what they were eating, they made that for me. But I couldn't live there without paying anything. So I went to school and I got a job at Coles. And so I went to school until 3 o'clock. And then I worked for Coles from 3.15 till 6.15 in the bakery, Monday to Friday. And then I went babysitting from twelve uh, 7 till 12 every night. So that was just so that I could pay Margot and not feel like I was just, you know, not pulling my weight but it certainly taught me the value of money that's for sure Mm. does your childhood does that influence the way you are as a mum the experience that you had great question my mum was bipolar and back then it wasn't we didn't really know what it meant so not only was I living out of home But I was also dealing with a mother who didn't really want anything to do with her daughter, except that she had married a husband who basically beat her up. And so I was dealing with living out of home and all of the pressure that came with that, but also a mum who wasn't safe and had mental health issues. And also two step parents who didn't really give a toss. So it's really interesting now because I'm a step-parent to two daughters and I've got my own as well. And now that I look back, I'm grateful for what I saw because I try really hard not to be that step-parent that they were. And I try to be a much better mother than my own mother was to me. Probably go the other way, right? You know, like, so I go from one end of, I've had that experience, then I've gone to the other end of the spectrum. And my mum, I don't know because she passed away four years ago, but she would tell people that she was proud of me, but never once said it to me. It was always, oh, Emma's doing that or Emma's doing that. or And she never really encouraged me, cheerleaded me. She was always so focused on her own mental health. And I had to make a decision not to be that mum. 
And so with Evie, I'm all about how do I just encourage your strengths and how do I cheerlead you and how do I do all the things that I didn't get. And so I think it has had an impact on me being a parent, definitely. When you were at school, did you know what you wanted to be when you when you grew up? Well, in grade 10, I wanted to be a mechanic. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I just loved pulling things apart and putting them back together. And I was just really curious about that kind of thing. And I had lots of discussions with my dad in grade 10 because uh, I repeated grade 10 because of all the palaver that went on with mum and dad. And my dad's like, you're not going to be a mechanic. You're too little. You're too this. You're too that. My dad thought a life for me, a good job for me would be a secretary. I'm like, I'm not going to be a secretary, but I do really want to be a mechanic. So there was a lot of conversation about it. Didn't really happen. Interestingly, when we celebrated dad's 70th birthday a few years ago, he told this story about his parents and about the discussion he'd have with them in grade 10 and the fact he wanted to be a mechanic and they didn't let him. And I was like, you've let history repeat. Anyway, have to say, though, if I had become a mechanic, I probably wouldn't have remained a mechanic. I probably would have bought, you know, a few workshops. But wouldn't that have been cool? (laughs) Pink, pink warehouse, pink mechanics would have been awesome. (laughs) Of course you would have. (laughs) Absolutely. It's amazing how... When, when you're younger or any time of your life where we are influenced by those close to us and it can really change or make the way we're going to be at a certain time in the future. Yeah, totally, totally. And you have to really know that those are the patterns that you're following and really get rid of them. It's like my mum always had this thing where she always called her mum and Nan never called her. And then when we grew up, she expected us to call. And I'm like, Mum, I'm not playing that game. Like, if you want to call me and speak to me, call me and speak to me. But I'm not going to play the same game that you did, which you hated for like 40 years. She was always like miffed because she was just playing out what had happened in her. And I tried to explain it, but sometimes the ears aren't open to listening. (laughs) Now, you didn't become a mechanic. Instead, you worked in recruitment in HR for 20 years or so. Tell me about that time. How did you get into it and what did you do? Yeah, well, uh, I decided to move to Melbourne when I was about 20, I think. And my family were like horrified because why would you go and move away? Why did you go and move away? It's a good question. I moved away to probably escape my mum. Her bipolar was pretty bad and I felt like I was always the parent and I was just like, you know what, I actually got to go and live my life. The funny thing is about six months later, she moved to Melbourne, so I didn't escape her. Uh, And just to be clear, I was not escaping her. I was escaping mental health issues. And so I worked in a recruiter for a while and I just love the not-for-profit sector. I love what they do, how they impact lives and change the world. And I really wanted to work with not-for-profits. So I pitched to my boss, the managing director at the time, and said, what about if I recruit in the not-for-profit space, but don't charge them or charge them what they can afford? And he was like, all right, I'll give this a go. And then I went and did some assignments with World Vision and the HR director said, would you like to come work for us? I'm like, yes, I would love to come. And so I joined them as their recruitment manager. And then I stayed for 12 years. Not in that same job, of course. And how, how do you look back at your time there? Oh, I love it. I mean, I didn't go to uni. So because of everything that was going on for me, I just went and 
got a job straight out of school. Although I wanted to go and study social work or be a psychologist at that stage and probably just to understand mum a bit more, I'd say. But I didn't have the resources to go to uni. So when I joined World Vision, the reward I gave myself was to also study full time. (laughs) So I worked at World Vision and I studied full time at Bachelor of Commerce at the time. And I loved World Vision. I did lots of different jobs there, which was awesome. And I coached the execs there, which was so much fun. So, yeah, I loved being part of an organisation doing amazing things. And valuable experience for what you're doing now, current role as an executive coach. Yeah, absolutely. I um, was asked to join the Faculty of Women in Leadership Australia maybe 10 years ago. So I was doing executive coaching with World Vision and I was also already working with women in leadership as well. So it brought all my worlds together, which was beautiful. And then you moved out and uh, did the scariest thing and start your own gig. What was the reason behind wanting to do something for yourself? I have always wanted to do something for myself. And my husband heard me bang on about it forever. But World Vision uh, had gone through some changes at that time. And I had worked with the HR director at the time to rescope some of the services in HR. And I was just like, I always promised myself if the time was right, then I should leave. And so while they were restructuring, I just said, you know what? I came home to my husband one day and I said, I don't really know what to do. Is now the right time to leave? He's like, I think so. I'm like, yeah, I think so too. So should I go and get another HR director job or should I go and do this? And he just looked at me like I had horns in my head. I said, what? And he said, for five years, six years, probably seven, you've been banging on about doing something else for yourself. Why are you not just taking the opportunity? I'm like, dang, you're right. So I said, see you later to World Vision and finished with them on like the 30th of November and hit the pavement on the 1st of December. You haven't looked back. Haven't looked back. Love it. Love it. I love what I do. I'm very blessed. And Mark, your husband, very supportive. Very supportive. Yes. He is supportive. When we got married, he said to me, so he, as you know, Chris, he used to play AFL football for your mighty, mighty tigers. <laughs> uh, your, because I'm not a tiger yet. I'm still an eagle. But anyway. Oh, no. And he said to me, and then he became a chippy. So he said when we got married, look, I need another plan because my body's not going to hold out. And I said, well, what did you want to do when you were a kid? He's like, I always wanted to be a secondary school teacher. I'm like, okay, well, why don't we just put in a few applications at some unis and see? And he's like, but what will we do about money? I'm like, we'll figure it out. And what will we do about this? We'll figure it out. Anyway. And so he put some applications in and dong it, he got admitted into Deakin Uni. So I think at the ripe old age of 40, 41, he went to become a full-time student for four years. He'd never opened a MacBook. He'd never, didn't understand computers. And there was just a massive learning curve for him. So we did four years of him being a full-time student. And in that time, we knocked a house down and had a baby and I continued working. So I kind of figure... That's my time. (laughs) (laughs) How did you meet? Tell tell me how you met Mark. (laughs) I am very persistent. I had a marriage strategy to meet my husband. I got a bit serious about it. So I went on a lot of dates. I went on TV twice. That's a whole nother podcast. Um, (laughs) And in the end, I got a map book out. So, you know, the old map books that we've got and I drew a rate a circle 10 kilometers around my house and 10 kilometers around world vision which is where I was working at the time 
And then I went, you know what? I need to go where the numbers are good. Lots of men. Where am I going to go to do that? And what <laughs> what do I want to do? Like, do I want to join a running club? Nah, hate running. Do I want to join tennis? Nah. And I found this boxing gym, this stinky boxing gym in Blackburn called the Fighters Factory. And I was like, yeah, I could do boxing. <laughs> Why not? Rock up there, first day. I was wearing Lululemons. My whole audience will understand that. I had pink boxing gloves. And I was literally boxing like a girl. I hate to say it, but anyway, like a girl. Anyway, the instructor came over and said to me, would you like a hand? I'm like, you know, I'm, I use humor a lot. I'm like, yeah, could you teach me how to box? And he's like, yeah, no worries. So he taught me how to box. And that instructor was my husband. Wow. Yeah. And I knew it straight up. I'm like, you're my husband. Now I've just got to do a bit of flirting and converting and then we're right. <laughs> I like the fact that uh, you had this plan, kind of like a sales plan. You had you did the KPIs. Yep. You did the cold calling. Yep. You got what you wanted and then you yep. learned how to convert that into a sale. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's fantastic. Now, anyone who's met you, Emma, and who's worked alongside you like I have understands understands how very energetic you are, full of enthusiasm. That energy that you have, is that what spurs you on to do what you do? I think so. I mean, my catchphrase is, I am enthusiastic, optimistic and energetic every day. And I have had that catchphrase for as long as I can remember because I just think that you can, whoever you meet, you can have an impact on them and it can be a neg- have a negative impact or a positive impact and I choose positive. And I'm a bit Pollyanna. I have been called Pollyanna in the past, but I'd much rather be optimistic and a bit Pollyanna than a negative Nancy. I think I just, I look after my mind really well. I look after my energy really well and I make sure that whoever I meet, that they have the real experience of Emma McQueen. So I don't know if it's the energy or if it's just the outlook. I don't know. Just being real. Yeah. And as an executive coach, tell me, who do you help? I mainly, well, it's a secret that I actually coach men. (laughs) But the majority of the work I do is with women who either have their own businesses or they work in in organizations and they want to level up. So I love working with women and I love tapping into their potential and just knowing that they've got someone that cares about them and is supporting them and that believes in them. And sometimes they need that belief before they'll believe in themselves. So women in business or women in leadership are my jam. And what challenges would you say that women face in their careers or or running their own business? Oh, where do you start? I could list a hundred, but I really think it's about mindset. And I think, and that's why I wrote the book, but, you know, we deal with this inner critic, imposter syndrome, you know, this, I'm not good enough, all the self-worth stuff. And I think men do too, but to a lesser extent, women hold themselves in terms of they have really high expectations of themselves, which sometimes mean that they have high expectations of others. But a lot of the work is about mindset. It's just about getting your mind in the right place. And especially for women who have their own businesses, it can be a lonely old road and no one's an overnight success, even though that might be what it looks like. And so you have to keep your mind in good shape, which means a whole lot of things. And I think that 80% of what we do is mind and 20% is actually the execution. So if I can help women get their minds in the right space, then I know that they'll be able to achieve whatever their goals are. And is this what Thriving Women is about, the program that you have? What is Thriving Women? Yeah, Thriving Women is like 
I suppose it's my signature program. So it's into its third year. The numbers are capped at 15 and it's for women. This year, it's all women in business, not women in organizations. People join up for 12 months. Women join up for 12 months and they get a mix of professional or personal workshops. They get dinners. They get coaching. They get a retreat. They get books, uh, accountability buddies, you name it, they do it. So it's kind of like having your own squad for a year. And these women support each other and cheerlead each other and just have fun as well as get a lot of stuff done. So it's a beautiful mix. Everyone's got different issues that they're dealing with. They've got different businesses that they've got going on. But it's a beautiful mix of high achievers, those that want to achieve, but also want to balance life out and anywhere in between. So it's a beautiful group of women. I love them. Why do you like coaching? Well, I'm all about results. So my client feedback is, Emma, you're not for the faint hearted, which cracks me up because (laughs) I know I'm not for the faint hearted. I'm not for everyone. And I'm okay with that. So that's one of my questions. When people are wanting to work with me, I'm like, If you don't want results, I'm not the coach because I'll drive you nuts and you'll drive me nuts. So, you know, if it's results you're looking for, bang, let's do it. But I like watching people just achieve what they want to achieve and help them get there. And having a coach in your corner is like having your own personal cheer squad. And I think women especially need that cheer squad. Since you left World Vision and went out on your own as a coach in in, in the few years that you've been doing it. Any lessons that you've learnt along the way? Yes, I should have been more grateful for the tech department at World Vision. (laughs) Because managing tech in your own business sucks. Um, I think it's, it's really interesting to me because when you're at a company like World Vision, you kind of are connected to the brand. So I was always Emma McQueen, World Vision, Emma McQueen, World Vision. And when I left, I had to untangle myself from that brand. And when I speak to people at World Vision and other places that I've worked, now I've grown so much and evolved so much as a person and what I do. Some people are uncomfortable with that, which makes me super sad because I feel like, come evolve with me. Don't leave me where in the box that you had me in. And so I suppose one of the lessons is, If you're going to keep evolving, you need to find people that are happy for you to evolve and learn and grow with you because business is lonely. Business can be really lonely. And you know what? I started thriving women because I was lonely. So I was like, oh, let's create something that I know will work because I'm lonely in business as well. And I think the fact that I knew that was that I had the conviction that it was going to work. Well, you're not lonely now. I'm not lonely now. No. (laughs) (laughs) The last 12 months has been tough on many businesses, of course, and we've spoken about a lot about this on this podcast with um, different guests. But for you as a, as a business coach, executive coach, has it disrupted the way you've been doing things? No, it's a good question. I was reflecting on this the other day because last year was tough being home. My husband teaches woodwork and he was teaching that via Zoom. And we've got a, had a six-year-old in the house, so it's not like you just set tasks and leave. And I had my thriving women to support and my other clients. And I had clients going through bankruptcies and having to pivot and do all those kind of things. And I am a helper, but I gave too much. It's a real. It was a really good lesson for me. I just gave and gave and gave. And not very many people asked me, Chris, how I was actually doing. 
And I'm just a businesswoman, the same as everyone else, you know, in this interesting pandemic place. And I didn't manage my energy as well as what I could have. And so by the end of the year, I was done. Oh, that could barely string a sentence together. But I knew I'd served well. But I also made a promise to myself I would never do that type of year again. It was the right thing to do, but it came at a very heavy cost to me. Why did you feel that you needed to give so much? Yeah, well, I have been asking myself this question. I think I am naturally just a helper. I like to help. And people can say one sentence and I'm like, I know how you can fix that. <laughs> I'm a problem solver. Or they say something like, oh, so what you're actually saying is da 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 Like my gift is being able to clarify things for people and then help them just practically take the next step. So I was doing a lot of that and I think I just... Yeah, I just fell into the trap of being on the whole time, which was really dangerous, actually. So it's a matter of learning to say no. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got really good boundaries, but it was just a really weird time for the whole world, wasn't it? And we'd never been through this type of thing before. So I tried to find my equilibrium, but it took a while. What advice would you give to anyone who's listening to this that perhaps they're in they're starting a new career or they're on their own in business. What advice or inspiration would you give to those? I think my advice would be the same if, regardless of whether you're in an organisation starting a new career or you've got your own business. Find your tribe and love them hard. Business, career, women in business or in general, women in organisations, it can be lonely. And I often quote Jim Rohn and he says, you're the sum of the five people you hang out with. So find the five people that you need to hang out with. Make sure that they're good for you and love them hard. I think that's the biggest piece of advice I could tell people. Terrific. Well, before we go, it never ceases to amaze me, the articulate, amazing women that you've had on this podcast and the energy and the enthusiasm and the laughter when we put these episodes together. I've actually gone away and put together a short example of the behind the scenes grabs. <laughs> oh, good lord. I thought you might want to have a <laughs> have a listen to it. Yeah. And the listeners might want to have a, a bit of a listen to. It's a bit of a bloopers reel. Love it. Are you doing the work you love? Are you doing the work you love? Are you doing the work you love? <laughs> <laughs> bit tired. <laughs> oh, Donald Trump, Donald Trump was supporter. <laughs> most recently, the future theme film. Most recently, the film. Chris is laughing at me. Most recently, the feature film. <laughs> I've been practicing. Do 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 do. In her earlier years, Albert. <laughs> well, tell me about the real life met Chris. Then the benefits naturally flow onto the bos oh, businesses. Can I get my shit together? You force most. Peace out, Girl Scout. <laughs> Just so that Chris has something fun to do while he's editing. <laughs> But her job was as Olympian in a purple... Oh, blah, 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 blah. 
Thank you for have coming. <laughs> Straight up. If you want results, you come to Emma McQueen. But I'm just saying. <laughs> Look forward to chatting to you soon. <laughs> How was that? What I what I think I might do instead of ending the very the very end of every podcast is the drop of the spoon. I might end it with uh, with a blooper. <laughs> <laughs> maybe just this one time. Maybe <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. Thank you for bringing me on this journey, Chris. It's amazing. Well, if I can reiterate from the beginning, thank you very much for being with you on your podcast today, <laughs> Emma. <laughs> Oh, thank you for interviewing me. It's amazing to be on the other side. Well, it is. And on behalf of all the listeners, of course, we wish you all the best for the future. Thank you so much. (laughs) That's it for this episode of Tea with the Queen. If you love this episode, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. And you're very welcome to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us with promoting the podcast for others to listen to inspirational topics on leadership and business. And if you want to contact me directly, all my details are at my website, emmamcqueen.com.au. All right. Done. We're on fire.